networking is a job that doesn't pay anything immediately. It doesn't pay money, but what it does is it pays you in the long term an opportunity and trust and reputation. Networking, you got to look at as an investment of your time and your career. I want to make sure everyone, all the listeners understand that. By the way, I get paid to network and I, I really don't like to do it. I'll be honest with you. The workforce landscape is rapidly changing, and educators and their institutions need to keep up. Preparing students before they enter the workforce to make our communities and businesses stronger is at the core of getting an education. But we need to understand how to change and adjust so that we can begin to project where things are headed before we even get there. So how do we begin to predict the future? Hi, I'm Salvatrice Kumo, Executive Director of Economic and Workforce Development at Pasadena City College and host of this podcast. And I'm Christina Barsi, producer and co-host of this podcast. And we are starting the conversation about the future of work. We'll explore topics like how education can partner with industry, how to be more equitable, and how to attain one of our highest goals, more internships and PCC students in the workforce. We at Pasadena City College want to lead the charge in closing the gap between what our students are learning and what the demands of the workforce will be once they enter. This is a conversation that impacts all of us, you the employers, the policymakers, the educational institutions, and the community as a whole. We believe change happens when we work together, and it all starts with having a conversation. I'm Christina Barsi. And I'm Salvatrice Kumo, and this is The Future of Work. Nate Constantine, former executive director of talent acquisition at Warner Brothers, shares his career journey with us, starting with his time at Warner Brothers through to his current and brand new venture. His evolution was a medley of asking for help, learning from other leaders in the industry in order to establish himself as a leading voice in the space, networking, and a willingness to take risks and stand up for much needed change in the name of diversity. Nate advises on how to get your foot in the door with little experience and how creativity coupled with professionalism can be the first step in opening the door to a new career. Enjoy. Welcome back to the Future of Work podcast. I'm here today with former executive director of talent acquisition for Warner Brothers, Nate Constantine. Nate, how are you today? I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm excited. Thank you. Thank you. We really appreciate you taking the time and sharing, you know, your afternoon with us to chat about your career journey and your experiences with recruitment and talent acquisition. So we're going to just jump right in, if that's okay, Nate, to our listener out there who's thinking about a career in entertainment. You know, what led you to your current career path? I got a a lot of luck, honestly, Um, and, and something that might be valuable to hear before I even got into the talent acquisition and recruitment profession, I went to school for a completely different uh, subject. I studied accounting. I didn't know what I, exactly what I wanted to do when I was in college, but um, decided to pursue something practical and something I was naturally good at, which was accounting and finance. And my, my father was in, in finance his entire career, so he encouraged me as well. So spent uh, the first four to five years of my career, quite frankly, in that profession and had been encouraged the entire way through by multiple bosses, multiple mentors, intentional or not, that they felt that I was destined, or that my talents and that my strengths 
were destined for something else, something more sales and marketing driven, something more people interaction driven, something, you know, some, something that, that, that could connect people or connect business to people or connect business to business. And I, I, I didn't listen to it for the longest time. I ignored it because I, I didn't want to betray my, uh, my training and, and, and my dad paying, you know, fortunately for me, pay, helping me pay for school and getting me through school and getting a CPA and getting my accounting degree. But finally, I, I met the right person at the right time, uh, about five years into my accounting career, who was a headhunter at a recruiting firm. And um, she just was different than what I thought a recruiter and headhunter was all about. And it really appealed to me. She somewhat mentored me. She really taught me really what recruiting was all about and how it could be, uh, you know, a very lucrative career. But uh, I would later discover that it was a very fulfilling career. And I can get back to that if you'd like. But so my road into recruiting and, and talent acquisition wasn't necessarily planned. It certainly was a dream to be able to get into the entertainment industry simply because that's the industry uh, I've always been attached to and always wanted to be a part of. And that happened just by a series of lucky breaks and opening my mind and, and meeting people and helping people. And it kept leading me to other people. And uh, finally, by, like I said, a stroke of luck, I met the right person at the right time. And she gave me my, the biggest break in my career and started as the, the sixth ever recruiter hired at Turner Broadcasting in Atlanta, Georgia, which was a, is still a pretty big deal to me. Oh, that's amazing. It just sounds like your net expanding your network really helped in furthering your career along in the industry, I would say. And um, I guess you said luck, but sometimes it's not about luck. It's about the effort as well, right? So you yeah, did absolutely. certainly put effort into it. And um, it's interesting how, you know, the people around you were saying there's a character mismatch in the yeah. field that you are <laughs> currently in, right? And some, you know, Luckily, we have those folks around us that can identify it much more quickly than we would ourselves. So outside of, you know, the network and what you call luck being as part of like your career pathway, do you feel that there were any educational experiences that had proven helpful to you in establishing, you know, your foothold in this in this particular industry? Yeah, I think um, not not a traditional academic education, but more continuous education with what, what I have found is, especially with how quickly and how significantly uh, the talent acquisition profession has evolved and is, and is continuing to evolve. If you are not becoming an expert in what you do, and, and what I mean by that is, is, is becoming part of organizations, volunteering to be on panels, you know, going to panels and, and listening to experts in the industry, reading trades, you know, so that's the way I've really been able to evolve as a leader and continue to evolve. You also have to always be paying attention to trends, whether it's how technology is supporting your profession or your industry. Um, you, have, you can't be afraid to try new things. You can't be afraid to be vulnerable and talk to your peers from other companies or other industries and really open yourself up to help and ask for help. So, so it's a long way of answering. I, I didn't necessarily go back to school to get an MBA, but you know, you know, from from that kind of education perspective. But it's been more of a industry-driven, self-driven 
you know, always striving to want to be an expert and, and really being curious and understanding what my industry is about and how I could be seen as an expert or a leader in that industry. Got it. So it was, it kind of lends itself to just, you know, what we shared, what you shared earlier about, you know, you have a, you had a formal network and then your informal network, that informal network right. was, you know, attending those conferences, being part of a panel, really kind of positioning yourself as the domain expert. Right. And in order to do that, you know, to your point, you kind of had to jump right in, you know, jump right in yeah. and take risks, be vulnerable. Absolutely. Absolutely. Ask questions, ask, right? Ask for help. Right. Oh my gosh, that's very, very important, especially for, uh, you know, I, I what I noticed a lot in, you know, I had a staff of up to 30, 35 at one point. And, you know, the, the thing we always taught our, our more or less experienced hires was, please, please ask for help. Do not assume, you know, don't get scared if you don't know how to do something you know, go try to find out things yourself. And, you know, it's helpful to come with a potential solution if you, if you hit a roadblock. But if you're just straight out, you know, in over your head, or you just don't understand a concept, ask for help. It, 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 it's such a, it's a very difficult thing for people to do. I think, especially for less, least, less experienced people, because they're afraid of the perception of they don't know what they, you know, they don't know what they're doing. But to me, it takes a, a tremendous amount of strength and courage and vulnerability to, to ask for help. And look, I've struggled with that myself. Even I do now. <laughs> I struggle with it you know, 20, right. 20 plus years mm-hmm. into my career. So mm-hmm. I, I had to remind myself that it's okay and, and, to, and to really open yourself up to any avenue of education, whether that is formal in academia or if it's something less formal or, or you know, or, or you know, just learning something from another person who might be better at something than you. You know, so that's what that's what I would say. That's how I've evolved, I think. Of the courage and strength and vulnerability that you speak on through your experiences, is there anything specific, any like particular accomplishment in your journey where you're just like, gosh, I really treasure that. I really treasure that moment, like that aha moment. Is it was it, you know, learning something? Was it meeting someone? Was it, you know, just a goal that, you you know, this, you know, massive goal that you had that you reached any any aha moments or treasures at moments that you treasure the most? Yes, it, it might not be a direct answer to the question, but I think it's I think it's appropriate. So during my time at Warner Bros, I had many jobs before I had the head job, and in in my opinion, one of the the, the biggest misses that Warner Brothers was experiencing, and whether they knew it or didn't, they didn't set up a what I would call a a, a valuable internship program. And I think this would be particularly interesting to your students because, you know, in the entertainment industry, I think it's a, it's a very relationship referral based industry. And to define that a little bit better is that, that everybody in the industry kind of knows each other. And it's, it's so much more comfortable and so much easier for, for someone in, 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 a, in a position of hiring to hire someone who they're familiar with or who they've worked with before or that's worked with someone they trust before. And what was happening with our internship program, it's not like this anymore, so, so I'm comfortable talking about it five years later. It felt more like a summer camp for the executives and, and, and some of our hiring managers' kids who, who were in college, which is great. You know, it, it's fine. It, you're talented young people. But what it was doing was it was – unfairly tilting the deck against 
other as qualified or quite frankly more qualified in many cases students from different schools schools not called UCLA or USC you know where their parents went so we had kind of noticed it but I, I didn't have the early on in my career I didn't have the ownership of the program so once I took that over one of the first things I did was I went straight to the, our chief HR officer and I said listen we're missing a huge opportunity here. Our internship program is not an internship program. It's more of a babysitting service for, you know, to get your executive's kids out of the house. I know it's going to be a difficult thing for you to do. Yeah. Just listen, it was, a, it, was a, it was a good thing for him not to do anything about it because quite frankly, if his executives were happy because, you know, he allowed, you quote unquote, allowed their, you know, their kids to get an internship, you know, there's that relationship. Yeah, get a little given, oh, well, you know, he, He's letting my kid get so so when he needs a favor from me, you know, I, you know, he'll remember that I, you know, let, let got his kid an accounting uh, internship. So I really had to convince him with data, with with statistics, uh, with articles, and say, listen, we really need to change this. We need to take a stand, and you're going to take a hit, and your executives are not going to like it. But we got to explain to them that with the importance of diversity and inclusion and belonging at this organization, it starts at the most basic level. And we can really have a huge impact on diversity, you know, if we if we make this a real fair process and a process with, with teeth and a process that's going to lead to future hires. You know, we, we didn't, our internship program really wasn't even like set up to hire anybody. So I had to give you that context because this wasn't like an overnight thing. This took, you know, after that conversation, it took two, three years to get it to where it is today which, and it still needs work, but it's, it's, it's a real, it's a beautiful thing. It really is. It, it, we, I think we tripled our, our diversity numbers in terms of hires. In terms of gender, the entertainment industry is, is typically 50-50. So, you know, we, we were able to increase, I think, to 60% uh, uh, with female hires, but our diverse hires, not only in terms of ethnicity, but socioeconomic background and coming from different schools outside of California, we expanded that. So, it's it, when I when I see the pictures of our summer interns that started this year, uh, it, it kind of gets me emotional because I'm like, oh, my gosh, I had a really, really big part of that. And a lot of those interns are, are have moved on and are doing great big things at, at Warner Brothers on a, on a permanent basis. That's talent acquisition at its finest. So, so that's another thing about our profession. I think um, it, for a long time it was called recruiting and, it, and recruiting is still you know, a significant part of talent acquisition. But I think the reason that the industry has shifted to talent acquisition is because companies companies caught on, you know, the, the smart companies you know, decades ago, but most companies in the last five to 10 years have caught on to how valuable a, a, a complete, you know, end-to-end talent acquisition team is. And that's everything from strategically impacting diversity, you know, partnering with, with our HR partners and, and executives to, create a more um, an environment and culture that's, that's more inclusive and more ensures that everybody feels they belong. You know, how, how do we market our brand? How do we, how do we make sure that people who, who have had a difficult time or feel it's impossible to get into our company, how do we at least give them access and give them answers as to what they possibly can do? Or it's just a, Hey, listen, we, you know, thank you so much for your time, but we, we have someone that's more qualified for that position. So it's a real, it's all the way to onboarding, quite frankly, and, and that how important that experience is for a new employee or a new intern. You know, companies just didn't really care or think about it for years. And, and, and the smart companies have robust strategic talent acquisition profession, professionals versus recruiting professionals 
that accomplish all those things. So yeah, some of my strengths are more on the recruiting side than on the branding side, but um, that's why you have a well-rounded team and you, you, you build uh, a diverse team, you know, from experience level to, you know, education level to experience level and, 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 and you build a better team who, who, who can accomplish all those things. So that's the trend I've seen for the last five plus years. And, and it's happened very, very quickly in our profession. You know, similarly, Pasadena City College is really working on building a robust work-based learning program, which involves a variety of different activities, but one of them specifically being internships. And hearing you talk about the value and the outcome of effort from the student who's being onboarded and effort from industry who is saying, here's how we need to build our talent. Like, here's how we need to give opportunity, equal opportunity for talent to be a part of this organization. You know, what could we do in academia to best prepare our students in advancing them professionally in, in an internship such as, you know, one with Warner Brothers or anyone or anyone in the industry? Is there like a key takeaway that you could say, you know, gosh, if, if the school had only shared with the student this, they would have, have come more prepared. What would that this be, you think? Uh, so, okay. So let, I, I'm taking the question in two different ways. So, so bigger picture, let me just use a, a, another, I'll just use school X as a, as an example. We don't need to know what school it is, but it's a, it's a California school. Um, <laughs> so, so and it's a big school and I might've mentioned it earlier in this interview, but even, even those schools I mentioned earlier weren't really doing a great job, at least on the business side, maybe more so on like the, the film and creative side, they, they, they were doing a, a decent job. But on the business side with attorneys and finance and HR folks, technology folks, they weren't really understanding why Warner Brothers and I think some of the other large studios weren't hiring their students at a rate that they expected. And so we would meet with, you know, they would ask us for meetings all the time. So, so we would typically meet with like a head of, of, of outplacement or student administration, and they would really dig in and say, okay, what are the trends? What, what, are, what are our students missing? And then again, it's, it's hard to answer in one because it depends. If you're a finance person, it needs to be this. If you're a production person, it needs to be this. Or if you're an HR person, this is kind of what we look for. So it, it was really about building a relationship with the appropriate representatives at the schools, yours included, so that you could at least get the data and, and the understanding of what we were looking for, to, you know, based on what your student body looked like or what your specialties were. Uh, one example I can give you, I, I, I can't remember the darn school. I think it might have been UC Santa Cruz, I think. Someone at their organization, within their organization, read an article or had someone in, in the entertainment industry that they knew, hearing them complain about, oh my gosh, we can't find uh, production accountants. There's a huge shortage of production accountants in this town because there's so many new entertainment companies coming into play. Amazon, Apple, Netflix, et cetera, et cetera, are adding to that much more content and that much more production on top of the other studios and other you know mini studios that have been here for decades. We're going to be in a huge shortage of production accountants. So I remember they contacted us three years ago. They proactively came up to us and said, listen, we understand that there's a shortage of production accountants in, in the industry. We just created this program 
that's going to train people with or without accounting and finance background who are interested in getting the entertainment industry about how to be prepared to be a production accountant. You know, could you partner, could you have this partner with your production folks to, to, for them to teach us what we need to teach them? Or is there anyone in your organization that would volunteer to be a speaker? So we, we did all those types of things. So I'm, I'm sorry, I'm dancing around and I'm not getting real specific, but to me, it, it boiled down to really finding finding the appropriate talent acquisition professionals and partnering with them and, and, and being vulnerable with them and saying, listen, we have a great student body here. Here's what we're all about. But we want to figure out a way to get our students either A, more exposure, uh, or B, more, more, more understanding and education, and C, ultimately, job opportunities there. And, and that's kind of how you have to do it to fully understand. If you say, hey, Nate, what do, you know, what's the biggest sh shortage in, in, in entertainment? Today, I, would, I just told you, it's production accountants. And we also had, always had trouble finding people who wanted to do a very specific thing in entertainment called participation. It was a very difficult position to recruit for. What is that position? It's kind of like the concept of royalties, but it's much more complex and it's very specific to the television, film, and video game industry. And not many schools know about it uh, because hmm. they don't really associate with you know, they're not here in LA, they don't understand the entertainment industry. And it's such a niche type of thing, even within the entertainment industry, it, it gets ignored a lot. So that's another opportunity. Can't remember the name of the school, but it wasn't one of the majors. They had a great program that taught specifically what participations was. So we would call a professor, you know, every couple months and say, hey, who are your best students? We've got a couple, you know, analysts open. Is anybody like looking and, and, and you know, that would work really well occasionally um, mm -hmm. to get some good talent. So um, then the other studios caught on and, you know, so supply and demand starts to play a factor again. But it was it was a great uh, relationship that led to that. That is like the ultimate goal for institutions is to build that real tight connection with an industry professional within a very specific organization that can really help speak to and guide us in academia on building right. the right curriculum to then produce the right talent that meets the industry right. demand right and then you guys become a source i i had never heard of emerson before i got into the before i got into the entertainment industry and they're way out and i think i think they might be in boston you know so i would always be yeah, we always get all these applicants from emerson from their creative program and you know i would i would talk to some of the creative hiring managers i'd be like, oh well, we got you know the fashion institute we got someone from you know uci we got the, and, and i said i got this other these other two uh, candidates from Emerson. She's like, oh, really? I was like, yeah, is that good? And she said, yeah, that's a great school. <laughs> you know, we partner with them all the time. I said, I had no idea. So, so uh, yeah, and, and by the way, a lot of these relationships weren't forged by cold calling and, you know, an act, a professor calling into the head of town acquisition at Warner Brothers. What, where I think a lot of these relationships were forged is alumni. Alumni is really, really important, you know, to help uh, expose and help promote an alma mater. So, you know, it, it can be a self-fulfilling prophecy if you don't have a lot of, and by the way, I don't, I'm not saying you have to have alumni at Warner Brothers or Disney or NBC Universal to be successful or to build something like this, but it certainly is helpful. And it, it goes back to that self-fulfilling prophecy. I remember the, the example I was giving you about the, the internship program. It was like, you know, well, it, it really wasn't getting us anywhere because it was just the same executives sending the same kids, you know, so we had to break that chain. And I think if there are any success stories within any of these studios, I think you have to 
I'm using this word in, in, in the positive context, you had to exploit that relationship. Right. Again, it speaks to this whole theme that we've had thus far is about network, both informal oh, yeah. and formal. Absolutely. An alumni, a strong alum, alumni network speaks to that. Absolutely. And I think it really kind of also helps our students understand and witness what that network can do. Having said that, you know, my student listener right now, who is aspiring to really work in this entertainment industry, um, which is dynamic, which is ever-changing, always on the go, you know, it's real fast. <laughs> you know, I always think of entertainment yep. as fast and hard. Like, it's just like quick, 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 yeah. quick, quick, move, 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 move. Let's go, let's go. Yeah. Um, what, you know, what would be one advice that you would give to them to either go into this sector or building their network or, you know, approaching some of these opportunities with internships and other job opportunities, you know, just in general, you know, if there could be one thing that you would share with our student, what would that be? The, the word that just keeps coming to mind is flexibility. And, and the other, the other phrase I would use is, is open-mindedness. I think, let, let me go backwards with the answer and how I get to those is, is look, I am extremely grateful and so lucky to have spent the vast majority of my career in the in the entertainment industry, the industry I've always dreamed to be a part of, and I still am a very big part of it. Uh, most of my network is within LA and within the entertainment industry, and I could I could likely go back into a similar role, you know, anytime I like, just because of my network and my reputation and how hard I work within the entertainment industry. But also, if you're in Los Angeles and you know this from from living here. It is the industry here. I mean, it is, you know, look, there's, there's new competitors with technology and such, but it is it's still, to me, the most glamorous and the most kind of mysterious uh, industry and, and, and to me, the most fun industry because you get to, you get to be part of, of helping the world. You, it sounds a little corny, but you get to be part of really bringing positivity to the world and educating the world through art and through expression and through stories. So everybody wants to be a part of that. And everybody in quotes. I mean, a lot of people want to be a part of that. And so what happens is because it's, it's such a high demand industry, the opportunities are there, but it's extremely difficult to take advantage of those opportunities. And part of that is you know, what I was talking about before, where, you know, there's some hiring bias in every industry. And in, in ours, it's, it's very referral based. It's, it's familiarity. It's, it's, oh, I know that person. And, and there's other things like this, there's kind of like this, I, at least I experienced this. I did not practice this because I, I, I used to like uh, recruiting people from other industries because of different perspective and a lot of other reasons. But if, if I'm a student and I'm looking to get an internship and I'm looking to, to break into the entertainment industry, first of all, it, it's, it's, you, you have to be flexible. The first job you get, even the second job you get, maybe even the third job you get is top, may or may not even be directly related to what you studied in school or what you're aiming to do but you have to look at it as experience and experience is a means to an end to get you to where you want to go and um that's where the flexibility comes in if if, if, if you really want to be a marketing analyst but someone calls you and, and you or you apply to you know a marketing position so hey well we have this 10 position that's a, an assistant for the department you know do you you know, would you be interested in that? You know, it's, it pays 17 bucks an hour, but we need you tomorrow. Can you show up? The answer is, is yes. <laughs> yes, the answer is yes. If that's, if that's right. what it takes to get my foot in the door in this kind of pristine industry with these big, you know, these big kind of simplistic walls around it, 
I had to look for any crack I possibly can. And yes, it's not the marketing job I dreamed about, but it's a means to an end. Then I get to meet people. Then I get to show them my stuff. Then I get to show them that I'm reliable. Then I get to show them how smart I am and that I can bring ideas and that I'm, you know, that I can learn and that I can volunteer to help with doing other things. And pretty soon, three months later, you're still temping there and they're like, oh my gosh, we can't be without this person. We got to figure out a way to hire this person. And if we can't hire them in that department, you get a recommendation to go to another one. So I've seen it happen so many times and it doesn't matter where you went to school in those cases. I've seen people from University of Houston or UConn, where I went to school, just move to LA without a job. <laughs> and they, they somehow met the right person at the right time or just figured it out or, or took advantage of that one little crack in the armor and just leaned in and went through it. Yeah, which leads me to kind of thinking about your team. So how do you keep your team engaged around, you know, change and around, you know, hitting the marks and, you know, accomplishing those goals that you set for them? How do you keep them engaged? Which is probably, you know, probably leads to even a bigger question of like, what is that secret sauce to retaining them too and getting their productivity up? What I've always tried to do was, first of all, from the goals and from the expectations, really, you have to be really crystal clear and open and honest about, you know, the job at hand, the task at hand. And, you know, especially with my, my le- less experienced team, I would always ask them, do you, I would always ask them this one question. They hated it, but I'd be like, hey, remind us why we're here. Why are we here? And they'd be like, huh? I'd be like, why are we here? Why does this team exist? Why do I, why am I here? Why are you here? And then I would make them explain, oh, yeah, yeah, well, we're here. Why are we important? What, you know, why does Warner Brothers pay us to be here? So always engaging them and also building, I think, professional, personal relationships. You know, at least me, I can't speak for, uh, you know, all my peers, but I really, really care deeply about my staff. I, I, I manage, you know, I've always been taught to take the, well, how, how my dad told me to do this. He said, you know, give the credit when, give the credit to the team when something good happens and, and take the blame when something bad happens. And I've always, I've always done that. And that's how I've really built loyalty and I think um, respect from my staff. To me, it boiled down to what I was trying to get to was what's in it for them. And, you know, hey, this is what I'm asking you to do. This is what the company is asking for you to do. But this is how, this is how it impacts you. And this is what's in it for you. And making sure that they understood what that is. And by the way, everybody's motivated and, and, it has different ambition levels, right? You know, there's people who, who yeah, have one year experience that think they can do your job after a week. And then I have people who have more experience than me that are completely content and doing a great job in, a, in, a, in an individual contributor role, and they're going to be happy doing that. So everybody's motivated by something different. Everybody uh, gets jazzed by different things. Everybody fears different things. And I think a good leader really through those relationships and through showing them that you really care and that you really are listening, it's up to that leader to really match what you're asking them to do with what's in it for them. So dare I ask, Nate, what motivates you? You, you know, you, <laughs> you, you're really great fear, at capturing fear. what motivates your team. What motivates Nate? Uh, honestly, I'll give you the, a positive and a negative. Uh, on, the, on the negative side, fear. I, I, fear of failure and fear of not succeeding. And, you know, that, you know, Look, I've, I've got plenty of friends and mentors that, are t- you know, tell me I'm way too tough on myself with that. But, you know, I have high expectations of myself and, and I've, I've worked really hard and I, I really want my latest venture to be successful. And I know a lot of people are watching and I know 90% of them are, are rooting for me, but there's always that 10% that's probably rolling their eyes and going, oh, gosh, what an idiot. Why is he doing this? And, and that's, by the way, that's a side motivator I, to prove those people wrong. 
Um, on the positive side, what really motivates me and why I'm doing what I'm doing now was really helping people on an individual level. You know, being the head of tournament division, it's the best job I've ever had in my life. I worked my whole career for it. I'm probably only, I think I'm only the sixth person that ever had that job. I might be the last person ever had that job because the job doesn't exist anymore. Wow. Um, because of, you know, restructuring and reorging. Yep. So I might, I might really be the last, though. That might be my legacy there. But because you're involved in so many other things, which are great and, and, and have, are impactful on the organization, I really missed and I really, the, the best days I had at Warner Brothers were when I was helping people or when I was, you know, working on a really difficult search and, and you know, finding a great new career opportunity for somebody who was miserable in their job or, or just giving someone good advice on their resume or giving, you know, someone who, who was having trouble getting into Warner Brothers or the entertainment industry some encouragement. You know, I really, really miss that. And I'm going to be able to do that full time now. So that's, that's, that's really my main motivator other than fears there, but I think helping people is my number one motivator. You know, you talked about a new venture and your new role. What is that new role? You know, <laughs> along that theme of motivation and you're taking that one mm -hmm. piece of motivation that you had at Warner Brothers and now embedding it into your new venture. Let's chat mm -hmm. about your new venture a little bit. What's that about? I started, I'm starting my own uh, recruiting firm. You know, going back to this theme of networking, you know, I've spent the last 20 plus years building a network, a reputation of helping people, of having an impact on, on, on hundreds, maybe thousands of people, probably thousands of people. And I don't mean that to sound arrogant. It's just it's just kind of true. And um, mm -hmm. I, I, I kind of going back to that story I was telling you of, of people just whispering in my ear that I, I might be misplaced in the wrong profession. So my firm is really going to be concentrating on or finding job opportunities for for people, uh, mostly in the entertainment industry, because again, that's where I'm most deeply networked. But I'm working with a lot of industries now, which is another cool thing that I didn't get to do before. I'm working with the pharmaceutical industry. I'm working with the uh, technology industry now. So yep. it's given me, you know, it's given me an opportunity to kind of spread my wings and, and learn something about other industries and expand my network even more. So awesome. For young professionals, how do they match their life experiences with the position? Not professional experiences yeah. because they're kind of going in, you know, they're going in green. They don't, you know, they haven't had mm -hmm. the opportunity and this is like their first jumpstart. What, what would you say is something they should really kind of be honing in on when developing their resumes and getting their foot in the door? I think you kind of hit on it a little bit. I think young people still in school uh, aren't going to have a tremendous amount of professional experience, whether it's in or inside, inside or outside the entertainment industry in, in particular. I think internships are, are really, really important. It, it doesn't matter if you work for your dad's company or, or you know, at, at Disney. You know, to me, I think any kind of professional experience or professional exposure is really important. You know, builds character. It, it shows you, uh, you know, it teaches you how to be a professional. It teaches you basic administrative and, and you know, how to work with other people, those types of skills. I kind of look at a resume, especially, again, for more junior folks, as an opportunity to show who you are, not only as a, a potential professional, but as a person. And you can express that in a lot of different ways. I mean, I'm not saying, you know, in the hobby section, you say, oh, I like to play baseball and, you know, it's Sudoku, you know what I mean? And I think that's important. I think you do, you work those personal things in to your resume because you aren't just the person who shows up to work every day and, and your interests are important. But I mean, even in the way you present yourself, uh, whether it's how you present yourself in a cover letter, how you, how you format your resume in a creative way, 
you know, that to me is, you know, and it might not work, but that to me is going to be the difference between someone who, you know, just goes to Google and says, oh, just puts together a standard resume, you know, with all the buzzwords in it. And, and there's really nothing else to it. I think you got to use every creative advantage that you have, especially if you're trying to get into a creative industry, you know, do something unique. And this woman put her, I don't know how she did it. She wrote basically a script for Friends, our show Friends, and, you know, one of the most popular shows yeah. we have ever had at Warner Brothers. She knew, she knew it was a Warner Brothers show. She knew it was very popular. And she wrote this. I said, she's not even qualified for this job, but I'm calling her because even if she's not qualified for this job, I want to talk to this woman and I want to help her. And she doesn't even really have the most relevant experience, but the way she approached, oh my gosh, it was the coolest thing. And the script was actually pretty good. She wasn't even really going for, you know, a writing job. It was more like a, you know, you know, your basic kind of marketing job, but it was brilliant the way she did it. So it's not only the resume, it's your approach with networking, you know, submitting resumes, you know, as, as creative and as, as, as bulky as it, or, or as dense as, as, as it might be, isn't enough, I think, for the, for the entertainment industry. You know, I think that, that's one strategy. You know, it, it, it's a hopeful strategy and it, and it might work, but I think, you know, for folks who are really trying to break in, they, they understand that they need to do, get themselves exposure in, in multiple different ways. You know, it really kind of speaks to, as academic professionals, sometimes we're so mindful on the hard skills and we forget about teaching or exposing the student to soft skills development, one oh, of yeah. which right? Like one of which is what you just touched on is how do you brand yourself? How do you tell the story about Nate? How does Nate tell his story? Who are you? Right. Exactly. Right. I think there's a lot of work to be done there. We actually, for our internship program, what we, when I took it over, some of the feedback we would get from hiring managers from previous engagements was, oh my gosh, it's, the internship was 10 weeks. I'd spent half of it teaching them how to, you know, just kind of be a general professional. Like, general professional expectations, you know, so we, we created this class just, you know, that all interns had to take on their first week. It was just, you know, it was, play, it was fun and playful, but it was like, listen, you got to be on time. This is how you dress. You know what I mean? Like, you, you know, here's how you engage your hiring right. manager. Here's what the expectation, you know what I mean? So even basic things like that um, can help a student stand out. And, you know, you can get that through internships or you can get that through, you know, good relationships with the right people at your school. Right. Well, Nate, this has been such a pleasure to talk to you. It really has. There's some reoccurring themes in your chat. I heard a lot about being open-minded, willingness to learn, taking risks in vulnerability, and being flexible. So our listener who's either a student, a faculty member, an industry professional, I think that those are themes that carry throughout our career. Thank you. Thank you for shedding the light on that and sharing your experiences and your journey. Such a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us, Nate. I'm honored to be here. I'm grateful to be here. And, and any t- anytime you need me, just let me know. You bet. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Future of Work podcast presented by Pasadena City College. If you'd like to get involved and have resources to share or be a guest on the show, you can find a link to our webpage to reach out to us in the show notes. Also, don't forget to subscribe and tell us your thoughts about the show. This helps more people like you discover the podcast and you can look forward to new episodes every Wednesday wherever you get your podcasts.